Please remain standing and take out your Bibles and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Our reading as well as the content of our sermon this morning would be 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2 beginning in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Our regular preaching pastor, Pastor John, is away this week getting some much-needed rest and refreshment and relaxation. So we have the privilege this morning to hear from one of our own, uh, Matt Allen. Matt and his wife have been in Honduras for many years serving the Lord faithfully there, and they've just relocated back to San Diego now. Finally, their whole family's back together. And we have Matt here with us to bring the word of the Lord to us this morning. So Matt, we thank you for coming, and thank you for preaching this morning, brother. Good morning, church family. Good morning, family. What a pleasure and a privilege to be with you looking at God's word this morning. Uh, Pastor John and Roxia are away. They uh, have been served by some of you yesterday. Some of you are feeling that opportunity to have served them. We also miss uh, Pastor John serving us this morning. I actually should have tied a double Windsor knot in my tie, but Pastor John was not here to help me with that this morning. So <laughs> we'll do the best. Um, for those of you who attend regularly, we're in the middle of the book of Acts, looking at God's plan, the historical narrative that we find in the book of Acts, of disseminating the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to take a brief detour from that today. Uh, generally here at Pacific Hope, it's expository preaching. We go verse by verse. Today's preaching will be a little bit thematic, and you may have picked up on the key word already, but we'll come back to that in just a moment. We're going to be looking today as our key text, our springboard for what we're going to be looking at, seeing the gospel afresh from Paul's perspective, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We just read it together. We're going to be focusing mostly today on verses 6 through 10, and what we have here is the Apostle Paul, who we see supernaturally converted in the book of Acts, right? This Paul who persecuted Christians, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, one who knew the Old Testament narrative, but missed this mystery of the gospel. Now he understands it and he spins it for us in an amazing way. And so what we're going to look at today is Paul's clear presentation of the gospel so that we might understand how it applies to us and how we live it out. Let me read for you. Verses 6 through 10, again, from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. As I uh, interacted with Anne this week preparing the message, she asks me, what's the title of the sermon? And I said, it's a mystery. Shouldn't you have this figured out by now? I said, okay, let's go with a different title. It's a secret. 
No, no, you can tell me. I'm going to put it in the bulletin, <laughs> right? So the title of the message this morning is The Secret of Our Faith, and we're going to look at this secret that Paul has carved out for us. We're going to look at three different implications of this. First of all, this mystery is something that God chose in his sovereign plan to reveal to us progressively throughout the biblical narrative. The second thing is that God reveals this and makes it understood, this mystery, through his Holy Spirit. And the third thing that we'll look at is if we've been told this mystery, what then should we do with it? So let's look at those three things. First of all, let's look at this progressive plan, this mystery being revealed through God. Let's keep in mind, brothers, that the mystery of the gospel, the plan for Christ to come incarnate, to surrender himself on the cross, to subsequently be resurrected, and to ascend to the right hand of God the Father, was not a plan B for God. This was a plan that began in eternity past. If we go back to uh, the Genesis account, we'll realize that God began giving us clues for this revealed mystery from the very beginning. Think for just a moment the encounter, it must have been a dreadful encounter, between Adam and Eve and the serpent. They'd all been caught in this act of disobedience and, and God calls them aside and he says to the serpent, just so you know how this is going to play out, her descendant, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. This plan, this redemptive plan started in the garden, right? It wasn't just that they were going to be expelled from the garden, but that they were going to be brought back into communion with God through this plan. So we got our first clue back there in Genesis. Let's look at some of the other clues for this revealed mystery, right? God began to use messengers, those who would give clues into this redemptive mystery from early on. We have Moses, in the book of Numbers, we have the account where God says, with Moses, I spoke to him face to face. I didn't speak to him in riddles. We talked this out and he's got a message for you. And his message for Israel was, obey the Lord your God and it'll go well for you. If you don't, surely you will die. Pretty clear, right? God sent other messengers. He sent Samuel, he sent David, he sent Elijah. And then we get to the major prophets. Those are my favorites. You guys know by now, these are my favorites, right? So we're gonna go to Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 48. And we'll see a little bit of the clue giving that God does through the prophet Isaiah. 66 incredible chapters in which Isaiah somewhat unknowingly gives us clue to what is going to happen in the future. He points us to the Christ child, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. He points us to Christ, the suffering servant. And he points us to Christ the Messiah. But look at me, look, at, look with, with me, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 48, a couple of things that God tells us about his willful plan from eternity past to spell out this mystery for us. Isaiah 48, verse 3. The former things I declared of old, they went out of my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass, I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. What an amazing thing. How many of you like to say, I told you so? We all like that, right? This is God through his messenger Isaiah saying, I told you so. These things that were going to transpire, these are going to happen. Remember the, going back to Moses for a minute? He says, if you disobey, you will surely die. Did he know they were going to disobey? Absolutely. He told them they would, right? Now look what God says to his stubborn people. Verse 6 of the same chapter, Isaiah 48. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them already. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from birth, you were called a rebel. God's plan of revealing this mystery began in such a way that he would tell us a bit at a time through messengers, so that he could say, just like I told you, I told you so. That's God's faithful hand revealing his mystery. One last verse from this chapter. Verse 16, this is Isaiah speaking in a bit of a double meaning. He's talking to a, a, a pagan ruler at the time, but also speaking in the voice of the Messiah who would come. And hear Jesus as you listen to this. 
draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Some good Trinitarian theology right there. Jesus says through the prophet Isaiah, from before time began, this has been my plan A. This is it. So we look at the messages of Isaiah, and again, we have the entire narrative of God's redemptive plan pointed to us over 700 years beforehand through the prophet Isaiah. Then, of course, we get to Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31. We should all know this one, and I bet we do. God uses Jeremiah to point to, again, the mystery unfolded through Jesus Christ. We'll look at this portion of the new covenant Beginning at verse 31, God says through Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. Of course, we get to the, the letter, the, the book of Hebrews, and the author gives us the blessing of understanding this mystery through the rearview mirror. Time has passed. That covenant has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ, and it's one of the longest quotes of the Old Testament found in the New Testament. Hebrews quotes this for us and tells us, this has happened. Now let me tell you something about this process of giving clues, this mystery that God does. There are a number of times throughout human history where no one wanted to listen, right? Perhaps we're in one of those times now. In the book of Amos, a contemporary of Isaiah, God says something very important about his process of gradually revealing his plan. He says, if you don't want to listen, I'm not going to tell you. Right? Those of us who are conversationalists, we can pick up when someone's not listening. And what do we do when no one's listening to us? Stop talking, right? Some people don't do that. <laughs> Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. God says, they're not going to listen? I'll quit telling them about my plan, right? And that's a horrible thing. That's a horrible thing. When Amos said that, his heart was broken, and we know as we, we've studied scripture together that after the prophet Malachi, we have this period of 400 years of divine silence. God stopped talking to his people because they weren't listening. We're going to pause there because I'm going to share an illustration with you. My prayer is that this illustration is not distracting to you, but rather helpful. As my family and I navigate uh, two societies, two cultures, we often see things through a very different lens. And uh, it's very interesting to see how, as Americans, we do entertainment and recreation. For example, uh, in Honduras, good family recreation might involve taking some newspapers, some chicken wire, some glue, making a donkey pinata, filling it with candy, blindfolding children, and hitting the pinata until the candy falls out, right? Good, clean fun. We've done pinatas before, right? In America, we have to up the ante a lot on entertainment. We have to do things that are, are more interesting. And recently, my younger sister treated our family to go to an escape room. I don't know if any of you have ever been to an escape room before, but it's a very interesting concept. If you haven't, please allow me to uh, invite you over. My kids will lock you in the garage and we'll charge you each 100 bucks and give you clues to get out. <laughs> I'm backing up for a minute. These uh, escape rooms, for those of you who haven't gone, you pay. It's entertainment. There's like a riddle or a puzzle, and they put you in a room with a different theme and some different props, and they gradually give you clues. And as a team, you have to find your way out before the 60-minute time expires. And at first I thought, this is a colossal waste of money and a colossal waste of time, but it turns out it might serve as a sermon illustration. So let me <laughs> try to bring that in just a little bit for you here. So the escape room, the timekeeper, if you will, gives everyone an introductory clue 
And then he says, throughout this time, you'll be given other clues. Pay attention, and you'll get out just fine. The timekeeper closes the door and leaves you on your own. And what happens, what ensues, is very dependent on who you're doing this with, right? But without a doubt, I would say there's probably the type A guy who grabs the clue and starts explaining it to other people and taking people down a rat hole that's completely different than what the timekeeper had in mind for the clue. And the next thing you know, everybody's lost, right? And then there's somebody in your group who's in this escape room that's far more interested in the props than the actual clue. There's like a little antique typewriter in the corner, a clock, right? And they're focused on those other little things and completely forget that they're supposed to be listening to the clue, right? You tracking with the analogy at all so far? Yeah, good. Okay, so as we're, we're in this experience, right, what happens is we gradually get further and further from the intended meaning of the clue that was given to us. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now, let's go to the part in the redemptive, the historical redemptive narrative where God breaks that silence, right? We now have ourselves in John chapter 1. Go with me to John chapter 1. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you in the escape room. We'll come back to that. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. The mystery starts to become clearer here. The next day, he... John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. When Paul tells us about this plan from eternity past, this plan from before the ages, he would have rejoiced because Paul's now had the benefit of hearing from John the Baptist's disciples. He's had the benefit of hearing from eyewitnesses that John the Baptist, the one who Isaiah back there pointed to, right? One who would come and make a path straight. This John the Baptist says, the mystery makes a lot more sense to me now. This one here is the Lamb of God. This is God himself. This is Emmanuel that Isaiah pointed to. This is the mystery revealed. Go with me to John chapter 5. If John the Baptist doesn't help make the mystery clear to us, you know who will? Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to his words. The title in my Bible says, Witnesses to Jesus. And Jesus is going to explain how all these clues point to himself. Starting at verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John." For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent, who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from, my, from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have sent your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The clues have been laid out for us. Jesus says, look, we have Moses, 
right? I didn't speak to him in riddles. I talked to him face to face. He gave you this message. He even said, Moses said, from among my brothers, I will raise up a prophet pointing to Christ. Jesus says, listen, I gave you the clue. You missed it. And then he talks about John the Baptist and says, you were for a little while willing to rejoice in his light. You were willing to listen to him for just a little while. But he said, behold, here is the Lamb of God. And you missed it, right? So how much clearer can we get when the timekeeper steps into the room and announces himself? All of these clues are pointing to him. And that's what Paul has to say for us. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for just a moment. Verse 6 and 7. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Folks, as believers in Jesus Christ, we've heard the clues, we understand the mystery, and we're piecing together a glimpse, although we don't understand fully, of what God has intended to do from eternity to past. That is, come himself. The clues weren't sufficient. The messengers weren't sufficient. So he came himself, God in flesh, to dwell among us and to make this mystery clear. Now here's the thing. Here's where the, the analogy falls apart just a bit, right? The timekeeper steps in, makes himself clear, and then steps back out for just a bit of time. And we're waiting for that timekeeper to come again. There's uh, words from uh, Propaganda, a theologian rapper that my kids enjoy. Uh, propaganda says this, the already and the not yet. So we look with joy and anticipation for when the timekeeper comes and make the crooked ways straight. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for him to come back. But let's not un- misunderstand this, um, this concept of what we're waiting for. Right? Christ has come. He has offered us salvation, right? But often what we look for in this whole escape room thing is getting out. My mom used to say Maranatha, right? And sometimes she'd say Maranatha in a, let's get this over with, Lord. What does Maranatha mean? Come, Lord Jesus, right? Because what we ought to be looking for as we understand this mystery is being with Christ, the one who set this plan in motion, the one who gave us this information about his mystery, we ought to long to be with him. As believers, it's not like, oh man, wouldn't it be great if Christ came back? I'd really like to not go to work this week. (laughs) Wow, I've got another family member with cancer. Wouldn't it be great if this was over with? Brothers, we're not living in an escape room. We're anxiously awaiting the advent, the second coming of the timekeeper. That's what we're waiting for. Now, That's the first thing. God has revealed progressively through time this mystery of the gospel, the fullness of time. Ephesians chapter one. I think I got this one on a PowerPoint. Ephesians chapter one. Thank you, Brother Ryan, for taking us through Ephesians chapter uh, three today as well. That ties in amazingly. Just this, all that, that Christ has done for us, his mystery. But look at these verses with me together. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven. Incidentally, the, uh, letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was in the church of Ephesus with these brothers as he wrote that. So you can see a lot of Paul's Christology, Paul's theology, and it's very consistent and it's so rich. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The fullness of time. This plan, this gospel being revealed, Paul got to witness that. We get to witness this. We see this in retrospect. We understand all of God's fulfillments. Those of, um, those of us who have friends who are of the Jewish faith, the clues are all there. The messages are all there, but we piece them together. Now, have we pieced this together? This brings us to our second point. Have we pieced this together because we're really smart? Have we pieced this together because we have some sort of secret Captain Crunch decoder that lets us understand there's 70 weeks in the book of Daniel, and now, miraculously, we get it? No. No. We get this because of the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we feel when somebody tells us, 
lets us in on a little secret. Hey, I want to tell you a little secret. We feel special, right? Right? And we ought to feel special, but we ought not to feel exclusive. It's been very interesting coming back uh, the last couple of weeks, re-acclimating uh, to corporate culture and all that stuff. Um, I've been telling my wife, I'm like, hey, I met one of the remnant today. And uh, she's like, how do you know? I'm like, it's Brodar. <laughs> right? It's you can identify a brother in Christ. I was riding through Tierra Santa, and I had a Bible verse on the back of my jersey, and somebody slowed down and honked, which is, don't ever honk at cyclists. And, and, and this lady says to me, hey, God bless you, brother. Like your shirt. Awesome. But the purpose of being let in on this secret is not so that we have some sort of secret handshake with our neighbors and our coworkers. We'll come back to the purpose of being let on the secret in just a moment. But for now, I want you to keep in mind that this secret has been revealed to us not through flesh and blood, but through the Spirit, as Jesus told Peter. Revisiting our primary text in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll use this again as a springboard. A lot of text for us to look at this morning. Praise God for that. Paul makes it clear to those who are receiving his message, a church comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish people wanted to rest on all the information they had about the Old Testament, but they hadn't connected those dots to Jesus. And the, Gentile, the Greeks, as uh, we're told elsewhere, always wanted to hear something new, something novel. Tell me something neat, right? And Paul says, well, let me explain this to you. And if you don't get it, it's not because I didn't speak to you with eloquent words, right? He says in the chapter beforehand, he says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he says himself in verse one of chapter two, and I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This mystery, Paul gets it, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we get it, if the church in Corinth got it, it wasn't because of Paul's speaking abilities. It was because of the Holy Spirit. Let's look um, at verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The mystery revealed through the Spirit. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Some of you who have uh, taught children's church before might ask your uh, Sunday school students, what are the parables? And some smart aleck will always say, it's two male cows. That's not a parable. A parable is a teaching mechanism to make something clear. Thank you for those of you who chuckled. Appreciate that. Matthew chapter 13. We looked at a great parable this morning with Brother Ty. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13 and understand just a little bit of the purposes of the parable. Now, Christ, God incarnate, God in flesh, God dwelling among us, did he come to make it more confusing? No, he came to make it clear at the fullness of time. And so that's what Christ does. The purpose of the parables is not to make it more confusing, it's to make it more clear. Analogies, illustrations. Verse 10 of Matthew chapter 13, the disciples are kind of under, trying to understand why are you using these parables? Why are you telling all of these stories? The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so Jesus says this, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Through the power of the Spirit, to those disciples, the mystery of the gospel was made clear. But to the, the rest of the crowd who Christ wants to reveal himself, he is speaking in parables. Verse 12, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. Wouldn't it have been easy for the disciples to pat themselves on the back? Huh, we don't need parables. We're graduating to Theology 201. We get this. We understand this. Glad we're not like them, not listening. Like their hearts are dull. And how often are we guilty of that, church? Do we congratulate ourselves? Because we have this understanding of God's grace, that we have this understanding of God's mercy that the rest of the world is blind to. Jesus certainly addresses that pretty clearly in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That plan from eternity past, that story that God began in Eden, that, re that plan for redemptive history, all of that made clear to those who've had their eyes and their ears opened, and their hearts turned from stone to hearts of flesh. Praise God for that. From the same chapter, verse 34, Jesus explains these parable things again to his disciples, and he says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. As a, as a body of believers, we need to be mindful that often folks will come in and visit us or folks will begin to study the word of God with us and they might not have years of advanced theology. We might use words like redemption, sanctification, and propitiation, and we shouldn't expect that everyone that comes in the door will understand those terminologies, right? So through the power of the Holy Spirit, we explain them. One of my favorite preachers online to listen to is Alistair Begg, and I won't attempt to do his accent uh, now. For those of you who have heard him, he's Scottish, so I, I won't try. We'll leave that one for a Scotsman. Um, in any case, what we hear Alistair Begg say is that he often has folks from his church come up and say, hey, I have a visitor coming this Sunday. Do you think you could maybe tone it down a little? <laughs> right? Do you think you could make it a nice message? Right? And um, Alistair Begg's response to that is, that the power of the Holy Spirit will make it clear to them, those who need to understand it, and to those who don't get it, we continue to intercede for them that the Holy Spirit would make it clear, right? He says jokingly throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he never says, the kingdom of heaven is like a soft puppy. The kingdom of heaven is like a warm blanket, right? Jesus makes it clear what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he goes through and he explains these things, but those to whom he didn't use parables, their eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 16, 17, Peter confesses who the Christ is. Was Peter the sharpest knife in the drawer? No. But God says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. You get this through the power of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite gospel accounts, only found in the book of Luke, is the, the travel to Emmaus. Let's look at that together. Luke chapter 24. Keeping in mind the first point, that God's plan for re revealing himself is progressive. His plan for redemptive history has been spelled out a bit at a time. And these people whom he spent time with personally, who he taught personally, still didn't get it. I'm just going to look at the tail end of this account, which I know you know well. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Remember, he's the timekeeper, right? All the clues point to him. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were there with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What an amazing account. He explains to them through scripture how all of that scripture pointed to him. The timekeeper has come. For us as believers, we need to remember that it was the spirit of God that caused this to burn in them. It was the spirit of God that revealed this to them. This mystery, it's understood through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we understand about the mystery is that God gave us glimpses at a time using his prophets, using his messengers. But in these days, in the fullness of time, we have the ability to look in the rearview mirror and see what Christ has done for us and anticipate and enjoy what Christ is doing for us as he intercedes for us. Why a mystery? Why a mystery? Why a secret? Right? We put our, our sermons online and we, we make the gospel known in the far corners of the, of the earth. Why a secret? Why does God himself refer to this as a secret plan? Well, for those of you who have children and have planned a surprise party, for example, what's the best way to make sure that everyone in the world knows it's a surprise party? This is a surprise, right? Tell them it's a secret. Everybody likes to know a secret. If you want to get a rumor out, just tell them, hey, uh, keep this on the down low, right? But here we have it. This idea of, of the secret message, right? Christ's gospel being disseminated throughout the, the book of Acts was all based on this secret being proclaimed very loudly, right? What began in, in catacombs in Rome and hidden churches underground is made known across the globe. If you look back at the plan of redemptive history, it's fascinating to me what we see at the Tower of Babel. They wanted to come together and build a tower to reach to God. And God says, no, I'm going to confuse these languages and I'm going to spread you guys out. And that same process, that same plan is what God is using today to make the gospel known. Something like 2,500 languages the Bible is available in. God is using that very plan to spread his gospel. A secret that is shouted. Look with me, if you will, at Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 28. Again, we have Pauline theology to help us understand this mystery and what we do with this mystery. I'll begin at verse 24, Colossians 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Thank you for that word this morning, Brother Gillespie. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to who? To his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. What an interesting paradox. Paul uses the word mystery and secret right next to proclaim. He talks about making it fully known. He talks about the hope which is in us, the hope of glory. God has ministered to us and presented to us the mystery, made it known through his Holy Spirit for the sole purpose that we tell others about it. Let's look at a couple of amazing accounts from the Gospels together. First, let's go to Matthew chapter 17. This is uh, in one of, the, one of the accounts of what is known as the transfiguration. We'll not read all of it, but there's something here I really want us to see. Jesus, the timekeeper, the God-man in flesh, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Why did he take Peter and James and John with? Were these guys particularly adept at holding their tongue? Let's think about Peter. The guy ran off his mouth, right? 
And, and we, we look at these guys and we think, okay, if this is a, a summit meeting between God the Father, God the Son, and Moses and Elijah, why'd you bring these guys with them? And, and look ahead. Actually, let's look at it all. It's so rich. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, his divinity shone. And his clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's a pretty loud secret. God himself announces this, right? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, and saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Verse nine. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. So he takes these three guys and God the father announces the divinity of God the son. And then Jesus says, Hey, let's keep this among ourselves. Interesting, right? The secret is to be proclaimed. Mark chapter 1. Let's go look at the loudmouth leper. I love this account. Mark chapter 1, 40 and 45. 40 through 45. Mark does an amazing account in his gospel narrative showing us that Christ, the God-man, is validated as the one to whom all the clues have pointed. And one of the ways that Christ authenticated his ministry is through the doing of signs and of miracles. We're going to look at a couple of those together. Pay attention to the secret. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that, nothing, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. That whole stern command from Jesus wasn't very effective, or perhaps it was just as effective as sovereign God wanted it to be, right? You want somebody to keep a secret? Don't tell them it's a secret. Tell them to keep it down? Everybody's going to know. And brothers, sisters, that's what Christ has done for us. What he has done in transforming our lives is meant to be recounted to others for the expansion of the gospel. Let's look at a couple more examples. Mark chapter 7. Verse 36. Beginning at verse 31, of course, Jesus is healing a deaf man. It says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. N Notice this. The first thing he does with his hearing and his speaking, Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. If you've been mute... Somebody healed you, what would you do? You'd tell everybody. And that's what he did to the glory of God the Son. Matthew chapter 9. We could just read the Gospels together today. Wouldn't that be awesome? So we got the leper, the loudmouth leper, the deaf guy, and now we're going to get the, the blind men. Matthew chapter 29, verse, beginning at verse... 27. 
And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, See to it that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. The secret to be shouted. One last verse for the Gospels. Mark chapter 4. In this one, we understand why Christ himself is going to give to us an amazing explanation for what Paul explains to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Why a mystery? Why something that's been hidden from ages past? What's the purpose of a secret? Mark 4 verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be placed under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. He couldn't be more clear. A secret is meant to be told. A light is meant to put out light. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to become, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the, one who, for the ones who, who has, much will be, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's a message of stewardship right there. We've been entrusted with this secret. It's been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And to the extent that it's been revealed to us, the more accountable we are for that knowledge. The more accountable we are to make that secret publicly known. Thank you. To make it publicly known. What has God done in your life? What is God doing in your life? How is he transforming your family? How is he mending the wounds in your life? How are you accounting that and telling that to an unbelieving world? To a world who knows not Christ, who the gospel is a mystery, right? If you do a survey and you ask around just a little bit about how people understand Jesus Christ, best case scenario, it's a nice story that a lot of people that are older heard at church growing up. It's also to some an offense. How could this make any sense that I need anybody to save me? What do you mean I need a savior? What do you mean I'm a sinner, right? That gospel is a mystery, but you know what makes it believable? Your testimony. God at work in you, the loudmouth leper, the deaf man healed, the blind man healed. There was a song that uh, I would listen to growing up by a Christian musician, and, and the song is called, I've Got to Tell Somebody. And it's talking about Jairus and, and how his daughter was healed. And, and again, who did Jesus take into that room to heal the daughter? Peter, James, and John. And then he says to the mother and father, he said, don't tell anybody about this. Of course, the whalers and the mourners are already outside. Everybody knows the daughter's dead. And he says, and the father in this song says, I've got to tell somebody it's burning up within me to make known what God has done for me. May that be the case with us, brothers. This mystery has been made known to us. May we boldly proclaim it. The content of this mystery, the content of this mystery. Let's go to Ephesians chapter three where we began some of this this morning, Ephesians chapter 3. <laughs> How rich. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me through the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal promise that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is to your glory. Paul spells it out so plainly. It's been hidden from eternity past, but it's been God's plan A from the beginning, not a plan B. His plan was to use men and prophets and messengers to point 
to that moment, that fullness of time in history, when he himself would come to reveal himself. The ultimate clue for how we would be restored. That curse, that expulsion from the garden. Broken by the one who breaks curses. Broken by the one who was pointed towards by Isaiah and by Jeremiah and by Moses and by Samuel. He's come. He's come. And he has healed us. And because of that, we can say the same thing that Paul does. Though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to us to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. All that we study together, all that we learn together, all that we understand about this richness, that mystery revealed to us now needs to be proclaimed. Let's go before our Father in heaven and ask for him to to bring us an even greater clarity of the timekeeper. May we not get so lost in studying scripture and looking at the clues that we miss the fact that we ought to be anxiously awaiting that timekeeper. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is that it is true, that it is free of contradictions and that from beginning to end, it all points to you. Lord God, all of it points to the cross. And as we've heard together and as we know, Lord God, the, the gospel isn't just about the, the cross. It's not just about the, the God-man in flesh, but it's also about the empty tomb and about your, your ascension to heaven and your return to make all the crooked ways straight. God, we pray that we would anticipate that, Lord God, not just because we want, we want justice and because we want freedom from sickness and we want a, a gospel and a promise that makes life better, but Lord God, because we want to see your face. We want to behold you. We want to understand, Lord God, that you are that mystery revealed. May we, as we examine that, have a burning within us. I've got to tell somebody. May we live on display, Lord God, what we have been revealed through your Holy Spirit, not by our own smarts, not by our own capabilities, Lord God, but because of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have revealed that mystery to us. Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, our sins atoned for, and Christ coming again. In Jesus' name, amen.